Reading in Church, a proud partner with Audible.com. Previously on Reading in Church and Other Distractions. He will go on to say why that doesn't happen for everyone is the kinds of soil. Right. And so uh, the seeds are miraculous, but soils can how it's, rece- how it's being received is the problem. Here. Yeah, or or Satan, you know, they had this problem. You ever seed your lawn and then Satan comes and takes oh, the seed? Oh, man, that's so frustrating. I have a park strip like that. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> and Satan would be grubs, but I'm battling that right now. And then also weeds come and choke it out. I'm dealing with that right now. Got an invasive vine. Most things I take, most times I realize, I think about the times I've been teaching the parables. I always get back to my lawn because I have a horrible... <laughs> I have a horrible experience with my lawn, and it's my limited sort of the place where my life intersects with seeds, okay? Interesting. And I just bought some very expensive seeds. Yeah. Uh, because I had this I had this problem with my parking strip. I don't know what. Do you want to talk more about the problem you're having? I do, because it's like, it's 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 mysterious. It's bad soil. It's okay. like half of my parking strip, it grows great. The other half, it's like, did the painters empty all their paint buckets out there or something? Because mm. it's just like, it's got nastiness in it. So if anyone would like to send in suggestions yeah. for how Mike can handle well, this problem. Well, someone did give me a suggestion. Um, uh, they said you can buy this this special uh, grass seed called Pennington, which has the uh, has all this fertilizer around it, and then it has this mulch that's connected to it, okay. which is just sawdust, as it turns out. <laughs> so so then rains came, and it's washing all my seed away. So that's another parable, though. <laughs> the man felt his... Threw his seed on the rock. Threw his and, seed on the rock, and, and the, the rains came. And the, the rock was lava. Seed in the sun. And then, yeah, and then more lava came. Boy, I'm confused. Yes, um, it's confusing. If that's if you're confused, then that's the point. I'm doing it right. Yes, I do. I you know this is one of those times when I love the you know I'd love to point out to these people who want to be overly literalistic uh-huh. uh, when they read the text that he did not speak to them except in parables. Uh-huh. Um, that that you except know, for the times he didn't. It, yeah, well, yeah. or you know, so Jesus, are you getting hungry? You want to eat something? A certain man had a yes, sandwich. Yes, yes. A man had a really? vineyard. <laughs> like, is that a yes? Is that a yes? Do we order yeah. for you or yeah. do you have something? Yeah. <laughs> and the so tenants like, were wicked. Yeah, just give him the Yeah, just whatever the special club whatever sandwich. Yeah, yeah, whatever you want there. No bacon. So Hold the bacon. Welcome to Reading in Church and Other Distractions with Rob and Mike. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I am Robert Wallace. I'm Michael McKeever. And uh, after a, a week, uh, a week's hiatus, uh, which I must apologize for, because uh, it was my fault. Um, but uh, we are back. Now it was events. Many, many events conspired against us. They did, and uh, scheduling and vacations and having and then, families. Right, it's craziness. Yeah, have if it wasn't for having families, <laughs> yeah. we we would have been okay. But uh, unfortunately, with family, things got complicated. But we are back uh, with the readings for July the 1st, um, 2018. So um, yeah, if you yeah. want to know anything about last week's text, that's just tough. Now, uh, email us. <laughs> we will deal with I'm going to try to tease out all the uh, July 4th sort of oh, sure. implied yeah. right, of course. meaning Thanks. here. For That'll our, help a lot. For our country and prophecy here. Yeah. Right. So since we're doing the continuous readings, it's Second Samuel 1, 1 and 17 through 27. So we're going to skip the part where we're killing the Malachite. Uh, and then Psalm 130, a classic psalm. <laughs> I uh, thought it would be nice to be drinking from my bootleg <laughs> Starbucks <laughs> Palestine. That would have been good when we were doing the Goliath text. That would have yeah. been cool. Yeah. Uh, and then Second Corinthians 8, 7 to 15 and Mark 5. 21 to 43. So Jairus's daughter. So that's, that'll be fun. Yeah. So, um, make sure and like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. So you get those announcements when we have, um, 
kooky last minute things ha- happen. We have a um, snow day. But we yes, we did. Well, today on their first day of summer, I believe the high was sixty four. So it's very you know, soggy. It is very wet uh, around these parts. We just got back to these parts. We were been in Mississippi for the week, um, so. It was. How was that weather? It was not bad. I was anticipating miserable, but uh, it was eighty nine ninety with one hundred percent humidity, as oh. opposed to. Oh, not bad. No, no. So look, we've been there when it was you know hundreds with one hundred percent humidity. Yeah, and grow papayas there with great success. I'm Is that certain. Right? Not what you could. You I don't. Could. I, no. I haven't seen any papaya farms, but hmm. I'm sure if they tried, if the bottom falls out of catfish, that's where they're going next. That's amazing. But I did get some good catfish, so that was oh. something. Um, yeah, there's a fish house that we like to go to that was all you can eat, which is really not all you can eat. It's eat until you are miserable and hate yeah. yourself. Okay. That's what they really mean <laughs> when they put that out there. And so I did. <laughs> so, that's why the South isn't going to rise again. Success. It's hard to get up after a meal yeah. like that. That's why it's hard to rise. Yeah. But uh, but no, it was a, it was a very good trip. Cindy's mother is uh, dealing with uh, uh, Alzheimer's end of life and. Um, but uh, she's she's achieved some contentment. Oh, um, which <laughs> we'll pull the veil back a little bit. We're driving along, and, <laughs> okay, uh, like we've been veiled much. But uh, we're driving us, and he's like, "Wow, she really does seem to be, you know, reach some contentment." I said, "I know," and that worries me because in her mm. life, she's never been content oh. about anything, mm. and so I worry that the degree the disease is progressing now that she's actually content. Oh. I worry that contentment is a sign of progression of the disease uh, but, okay she's but, not a listener i take it <laughs> i wouldn't imagine no no i don't think she would be a listener but you just ripped that veil in too right if there. she did she'll she'll forget so i don't worry too much about it yeah but anyway right. other than that um yeah things are busy yes things are busy things are busy maybe we'll find so, out why that's right in the near future maybe so so um you ready to get going yeah all right let's all right do it. second samuel one yep uh, yep. 17 and 27. Mm-hmm. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jashar. He mm-hmm. said, Oh, this is not what I read this morning. Oh, huh, I thought this looked strange. <laughs> hmm. I think I must have read last week's. Anyway, your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. Your mountains of Gilboa, let there be dew, no let, dew. let there be no dew or rain upon you. Nor bounteous fields, for their shield, for the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, anointed with oil, no more, from the blood of the slain, from the flat of the, from the fat. fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Yeah, this I think lament is our theme in Old Testament today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
the uh, it, it's interesting because in the story of Saul, I told you we've mentioned him being such a tragic figure. He is got rejected by God. God selects David, but David was never going to be God's instrument to give David the kingdom. So right. even though David had a couple of opportunities to kill Saul, never acted upon them. Um, even when he was working for the Philistines, the Philistines didn't want him to be engaged whenever they would fight Israel for fear that he would turn right. on them. And the Bible even goes out of the way. Are we to bring say, in the temp? No, let's leave him. Let's leave the temp. in the camp. You don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. Uh, the Bible even goes out of its way to say he was at Ziglag during this whole battle. Uh, he'd been fighting right. the Amalekites. There's absolutely no way David is in any way connected with Saul's death. He even um, killed the messenger. He, he did actually. <laughs> the uh, the uh, Amalekite messenger shows up um, and takes credit for uh, Saul's death. And I don't know if David doesn't believe him or does believe him, Mm -hmm. but either way, it doesn't go well for the messenger. Um, David uh, publicly laments for Saul, which is an amazingly strategic political move and also an act of perhaps great concern. And killing the messenger might be part of that, too. Exactly. You don't know just exactly how much this is coming from. It's a shrewd political maneuver mm-hmm. and how much it's coming mm-hmm. from. Okay, we get it. Yeah. We get it, David. <laughs> you like Saul. Everyone likes <laughs> you Saul. You didn't have any cool. hand in this. Right. And so um, we actually have the word lamentation, kina, which gives, it's the word for the, the, uh, the meter. The grain, the superfood? No. Quinoa? Not, not quinoa. Ah, <laughs> quinoa. Okay. Uh, that is the lament meter. That's a 3-2 meter. So it sounds a little incomplete when you're uh. chanting it. Um. And that's his his lament proper is in a kina meter. It's hmm. the meter that whenever you encounter a lament that doesn't have it in the book of Psalms, some text scholar wants to yeah. make it to fit make it because make it, better. it must be hmm. that must be what they meant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I will fix it. Uh, so this is a you know classic lament. Um, I have no idea what the song of the bow is. In fact, he orders that the bow be taught to the people of Judah, and it seems an odd time or archery lessons yeah. uh, for people. Song and of so, the bow. So the assumption is that, yeah, that we're talking about a, a hymn tune or a music tune or some sort of song uh, that is written apparently in the book of Joshua, yeah. which is referenced in, uh, right there. I believe, yes, thank you. It is referenced <laughs> there. Uh, it is also referenced in, uh, I believe, Joshua. Um, Wars of Yahweh are referenced in Numbers. But every now and then you get these references to non-biblical texts. So yeah. you've got the book of Joshua, the the chronicles of the acts of the kings of Israel, yeah. the chronicles mm-hmm. of the acts of kings mm-hmm. of Judah. And so the the Bible seems aware of these other sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book of Joshua seemed to have been a a hero book, uh, stories of of heroes and their their successes. And so yeah. that apparently is um he goes in here at the same time. Okay. Um your glory is a uh homophone for I believe gazelle. Uh, oh. So the, there's a kind of a pun, your glory lies slain upon the high places hmm. there, um, which is kind of cool. Huh. Uh, Tell it not in Gath becomes a, an idiom that Micah uses 200 years later when nobody in Gath would actually care. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the assumption is that it becomes a an idiom about don't don't spread news of our failures. Yeah. Um, okay. Because we don't want the daughters of the Philistines dancing. Well, what, you know, we skipped the part. Were we going to read the part? Uh, did we skip over the Goliath text? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Someone, someone mentioned how uh, there's other mighty who have fallen on the battle, and that's true. There might be some. They were thinking there was some 
weird correspondence between, oh, between the, Saul and David or between Saul between and Goliath, the Goliath falling and the mighty falling and the Philistines. Mm. And I don't know. It's, it was new to me. So. I've never heard that. Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. Um, you get this classic lament where he, you know, this, this elegy he gives here, um, for his, his, uh, King and the Prince Regent that he was so close to, um, their, their true bromance going on here. And uh, Samuel, yeah, Jonathan and uh, and David, they doesn't have anything to do with that. Have something to do with a bow? Do they like have a secret meeting? Because with a they did bow have a signal a, with a signal with an arrow. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not the song of the bow. That's probably it? not the song of the bow. Although you know, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, those hymn tunes you do get those hymn tunes. There's a uh, the death of the firstborn, and there's the I mean, there's several places in the Psalms where you get sung sung to the death of the sun or sung to the death, you know, whatever to give a. Just a style. I mean, hymn tunes were not any. It's all in the Time Life collection. You get yeah, yeah, song exactly. of death of the first one and song wait, of the bow. song of the bow. Right. Who exactly. can forget song of the bow? Exactly. Apparently, everyone. Yeah. So right, because <laughs> most translators are like I don't know what to do. This is, apparently, it's a song, so let's just go with that. Oh. Um, and that would that would be obviously in keeping here. Um, but yeah, David is is set up. I mean, I will say that the messenger's story does not exactly match what comes at the end of First Samuel, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. First, First and Second Samuel, obviously, one point were a, one book and probably divided in the Greek text, probably for length. I'm guessing, uh, and the story that is told at the end of First Samuel and the story that the Amalekite tells at the beginning of Second Samuel don't yeah. match up uh-huh. at all. No, and and so we don't know whether that means that we shouldn't trust the Amalekite and that's why David kills him on the spot. Yeah. Or if we just don't know, I mean, or if, you know, he was just a scrounger and found the crown mm-hmm. and the signet and brought it to, brought it to David to try to curry favor with him. He is, he does have the outside form of lament. He's, you know, he looks like he was yeah. uh, sad that Saul mm-hmm. had died, but uh, David wasn't buying. And Isn't that why they killed the chronicler? Cause his story was different than the chronicler. Yeah. In, in Chronicles. Uh, in Chron- <laughs> I don't I don't think so, no. That story. We don't have that story. We either. don't have that's not a canonical Sadly, text, I'm yeah, afraid. Like many things. Like many That's fair game today, right? <laughs> non canonical. That's that's true. All right. Uh swifter than eagles, stronger than lions, faster than a speeding bullet, able to <laughs> leap tall buildings in a single bound. I mean, that's you know, the typical hyperbole you would get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how um, the mighty have fallen. That's pretty pretty classic. It is. Yeah. Um, but setting up David's rise, I mean, this, most people see yeah. the, how David becomes King transition. Is this part of second, first Samuel 15 through second Samuel seven, or is it uh-huh. part of the story of the succession narrative, which comes later? I don't know, but I mean, the books are they're they're I don't want to say propaganda because it has such a negative connotation, but it is promoting mm-hmm. Davidic kingship. Oh, That's yeah. the purpose it's of heavy handed. Um, and it does it. It does it, it seems, with a fairly dispassionate, I mean, at times, dispassionate eye. I mean, it has no problems telling the Bathsheba story and mm-hmm. failures of parenthood. But uh, but here, it's, he's certainly told in a, a very glowing light. He is he is this great guy yeah. who respects the ones who came right. before. Right, so. Well, he was not going to put his hand upon Saul. No. Okay, and... Or uh, be part of the army that was, yeah. or even be in the vicinity yeah. when it happened. Right. Yeah, he's not connected. He had opportunity. He did. Yeah. So there's that contrast. There, someone said um, somewhere I read about that this is reminiscent of the the transition from to Samuel with uh, the the morning of Eli and the mm. the uh, uh, ark being yeah. in the hands and the falling of his sons. It's, it's almost like that uh, that earlier transition oh, uh, before Samuel. Yeah, so, that's a good story. It's interesting. That's, I mean, it's a good tick. 
good good catch. There are these things where you say, "No, this seems to be different," you know, documents, and then there's this interesting, like that seems to be a very careful illusion, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's, it's just hard to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Wonder if well, you know, it's not exactly a type scene, but at least no. it is. No. It does rhyme. Yeah. If nothing else. Yeah, within this text, perhaps. Yep. Cool. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah. Cool, cool story. Sounds dead. Cool. Cool story, bro. <laughs> That was so non-canonical. <laughs> Dude, you're so non-canonical. You ready to do Psalms? Yeah, Psalm 130. Psalm 130. It's a classic psalm. It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Psalm 130. I should have, oh, if I had my slide here, we could do a little blues. Yes, you could. Maybe I'll add that later. I don't know what key got, this would you've be. You've got your slide, but you uh, yeah, don't have I your took guitar. My guitar you home. took your guitar home. Yeah. Your slides here. Yeah, I had, to, I had to work on it. Okay. You had to work on it? I changed it and I was putting bigger strings on it for, for slide. <laughs> you need bigger strings for the slide? I went and I saw uh, perhaps the world's greatest slide guitarist. Okay. From born in Mississippi, but raised in Louisiana. So that's pretty good. Uh, that's they got pretty the good credentials. Got the Sonny Landreth. I saw him at the Blues Festival two weeks ago. And he happened to share the size of his string. So he's like, oh, and so then, that's how he gets the sound out of it. So and then I, you felt inadequate and I better, to come I better home. put those size strings. I think I may have those size strings on there. But uh, anyway, it's a, it does something to the guitar. It does something to what you can do to the strings. Anyway. Wow. Anywho, <laughs> we'll see. Hey, maybe, should, I'll, maybe I should, I'll add it later. I'll I should add also, some slide that's later. True. Add a little okay. slide into the into the pie. I'm or sure. harmonica, I could get the right tone. Uh, right I'm sure key. our listeners would yeah. enjoy to hear this slide. Yeah. I should also point out that Mike is wearing his Gibson oh, yeah. uh, Les Paul shirt today. Yeah. That's right. So we're it's, all about the music today. on my brain. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Out of the So here's a, here's a blues De psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So leave a lot of room for sliding here. <laughs> you play it in the background while you're reading. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. You just said that. Yep. That is a blue song. <laughs> yeah. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Though you didn't shout it, numerous references mm-hmm. to God's name here. Yeah. Uh, and I did say this is classic. This is one of uh, the Ascent songs. Um, it is, oh gosh, I should have checked. I don't know. It's like 11 and 12, 13 of the, of the Ascent. It's, it's, it's in okay. the middle in there. Um, it seems to be an individual lament, but then you get that interesting ending at 7 and 8, which is talking to Israel. So the, the uh, suggestion has been that perhaps it was originally kind of a self-contained individual lament that has now become a lament 
that is sung individually as a community, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Okay. You know, where the community itself is, yeah. is representing individually. A uh, lot of neat literary stuff in here. Um, there is in, in the, in each of the two verses, you know, one and two, three and four, five and six, you have the personal name of God used, O Lord, capital O-R-D, followed by Adonai, which is little O-R-D. So it's O Lord and then Lord, hear my voice. Those are two different words in Hebrew. O Lord and then uh, Lord who can stand. And then Yahweh and then Adonai in verse six. But then in verse seven, you get two mentions and both. So it's two mentions or references to God in verses one and two, three and four, five and six. But then in seven, you get two references to God's personal name. O Israel, hope in Yahweh, for with Yahweh there is steadfast love. See. And with him, there's power to redeem. So it's, I mean, I don't know that it's a, uh, it, it just reminded me, it's like a Shakespearean sonnet of, you know, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, A, or mm-hmm. something. But that's mm-hmm. what happens with God's name uh, in the Psalm. I'm sure there's a literary term for that. Yeah. If I had a master's in linguistics, okay. I probably would know it, yeah. but uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No, that's, they, they didn't cover that in my. Oh, okay. Like, you skip yeah. those. You should go to those classes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also a little bit of a pun in verses three and four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, um, but there is forgiveness with you, if and with are homophones. Uh, they are both im. Uh, they're spelled a little different, okay. but uh, it's im. Uh, so if you, then then forgiveness is with you. Oh, um, it's a, a really neat, okay. I think a neat little play little, little that they do there. with that. So he's so if you marked iniquities, mm-hmm. but forgiveness is with you. I see. Um, so it makes an inclusio on a pun mm-hmm. in, that, in that phrase. Yeah. Um, probably sounds good. It probably does sound good in Hebrew. I uh, I don't know what else you want to say. It's a we've talked about lament, the power used, of lament uh, as an ascent psalm used in uh, pilgrimage, in pilgrimage or in mm-hmm. temple. Yes, and used um, at very popular funerary psalms. Um, one of the, uh, I believe it's seven penitential psalms that is used during Lent. In the time-life connection. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. You get such Late. Uh, in Latin, de profundus. Um, the, uh, the depths, I should say, the depths is that sense of the chaos deep. It is the sense of mm-hmm. uh, the disorder, um, the, that moment of, and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, evil, that time mm-hmm. when there is no order and yeah. and no hope. So a very popular, t- obviously funerary text and lament text. Um, it is, you don't get a lot of penitential language in the Psalms. So when you have them <laughs> and we tend to focus on that in the Western church a great deal, um, they, this is one of the reasons it's used it in Lent. I think that forgiveness and yeah. iniquities, mm-hmm. um, which I think is the word iniquities here is an etymolo- etymologically connected. The word for twisting, which I find oh. a very oh, picturesque yeah, idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's used, I think, over two hundred times in the text. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have heard that. So, Out of the depths, is there a famous book on the Psalms? There is. Based on that? What's, yeah. Who's that? What's Anderson. that? Anderson. Anderson. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it yellow. It is yellow. <laughs> I remember yes. books by. <laughs> I do about, too. That's about all I know about it. My major professor. Isn't there Bill, a yellow book on Bill this? Bellinger? Always he always categorized his books by the color. Did you find it? Is it yellow? yellow? One by the. Yep. There it is. Oh. <laughs> Um, Bill, whenever we were in class, Bill would say, you know, in my orange book, in my blue book, <laughs> yeah. in my in oh, the okay. green book, Is that right? he always, yeah, okay. it was, he didn't even reference the titles. It was the orange book. <laughs> and anytime he published a book, I mean, it could just come out. It's like, well, 
It's a bit dated, but it, you know, it's pretty good oh, survey of, okay. you know, it's a bit dated, but bit it's, it's dated. like, cause the minute it's published, it's dated in Bill's mind. Yeah. Well, publishing, mm. it's surprising how long publishing takes. Yeah, that's true. In the age of the, in, the internet yeah. and computers. But yeah, this is so, so there's a, a cry into the Lord and then an, in, in treating to wait uh, for God. Yeah. And so there's the moment of trust in three and four. And so it's got all your basic lament forms, but, um, but it's still good. a little unusual. Yeah. No, this is a classic. Mm-hmm. Bueno. <laughs> that That's Spanish for good. For tra- Yeah. And yeah. transition and hello. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I said bueno, you started making noises with what you, how you answered the phone for your family. So I did. I'm not going to do that. Though. Okay. <laughs> Reading in Church is proud to partner with Audible.com. For you, the listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. Surely you can find something interesting in all of that. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch for your free audiobook. Go there today. You ready to do 2 Corinthians? Yeah. All right. Speaking of lamenting. This is... <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we do Second Corinthians, you lament. No, I'm not. Paul is Paul's lamenting. Okay. This is oh. a little bit easier ter- terrain here. Oh, good. Yeah. Second Corinthians chapter eight, seven to fifteen. A little. Now, <laughs> now, as you excel in everything, boy, yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. No. Yeah. In faith, it's such in a handy speech, program. In knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you. So we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this is a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you, who began last year, not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. Pledge drive time. I'm feeling a little attacked right now. (laughs) Uh, For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of fair balance between your present abundance and their need so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be fair balance. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. as it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. Strong ended. That's... That's a big one. <laughs> you want to have a strong ending if you're having a pledge break. Yeah, that's right. And you don't that's have a, a book bag to offer. That's well, right. Yeah, this is actually referring to um, the collection he's taking for the saints in, in the poor Jerusalem. saints in Jerusalem, which is an ongoing, a long thing that he's been doing. It's mentioned Romans. in First Corinthians. Does Romans do it? Yeah, he always mentions it. He's always he's yeah. any any Gentile church he's collecting for the saints in Israel, and it's it's theological. I mean, it's both. It's both, um, it's the real human need mm-hmm. there, very poor church. And um, when I read, when we read James, my, I, I almost don't do this, but um, because it's near the, usually near the end of a semester mm-hmm. when I introduce James to students, I go, try to read this, the rhetoric as though it's a church that everyone's poor. Yeah. Because poor is synonymous with Christian in that right. text, in the original context. It has a secondary context where it's probably a little bit different, but... 
it's a very poor church from the very beginning, and uh, persecuted church, and Paul's very interested in Gentile churches uh, offering and uh, uh, coming to their aid, and uh, that's just good in and of itself, mm-hmm. acts of charity, mm-hmm. but it also he sees it as fulfillment of um, prophetic vision of the wealth of the nations flowing into uh, to yeah. Jerusalem, and also when you participate material with someone else, that's a tangible reality that you are family. Yeah. Okay. It's not, uh, you do that and you don't keep track of it. And, uh, um, he had been collecting this for some time. The, the preparation for the offering was already in order when he writes first Corinthians. So it's, mm-hmm. he doesn't initiate it there. So if you read Paul's letters, he's never asked money for himself, but he talks about money a lot. Yeah. Money is very theological. That's why he pays his own way, even though he has a right not to. But does he ask people for money? All the time, but yeah. not for himself. Unlike some certain traditions today <laughs> in uh, televangelism. Uh, he, he is uh, very, very upfront, uh, although he does it at the end of his letters. He's very upfront about asking for the, this offering, and it seems to be sizable. It's probably why he languished in prison, because people knew he had control yeah. over this, and they're waiting for him to like bribe them to get out. So gotcha. this might be why he spent more time in prison, because he, he wasn't going to do that. So um, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that kind of is woven throughout all his letters, mm-hmm. um, and that he wants to he wants to provoke jealousy on the parts of unbelieving. Jews, right. when they see this, so that they can be saved. So it's a, it, he has this, you know, we get little glimpses of his understanding that God's purposes aren't done with Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, like in Romans. He, yeah, yeah, you get glimpses of that. And so, um, the, I don't know, I, I guess I've, I haven't, uh, I don't think I've mastered that, because you get into Romans 9 through 11, it's always like, what is Paul saying there? Right. Even when he's very intentional about it. It's a little bit confusing, and then when it comes up in other letters, it's you realize this is really something important for him. Right. I haven't fully fully grasped uh, what that's going to look like, but Paul's never left off. And you know? probably his his own Jewish identity yeah. is I don't want to say at stake, but it's sort of an ontological thing for yeah. him uh, that, yeah. that you know they can't be done. Yeah, God can't be done no, with Israel. Right, and it's something about God too, and yeah. and that. Uh, he glories in the promises of Israel, and then and then make a case that no, the salvation came through Israel, and Israel is is expanded with the uh, incoming of the Gentiles, and that was always intended. But it's the tragic unbelief of his brothers that's yeah. an ongoing, you know, uh, lament for Paul. So this now, is an interesting way of uh, reminding them about this, even in the in the in the midst of a of a strained relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, a, a relationship that is at least maybe coming back together. Yeah. You said something, and I am going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you can edit it out. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. You can edit it out. <laughs> the composition of Second Corinthians, because mm-hmm. you said he's dealing with this at the end of a letter. But, of course, this isn't yeah. the end of this that's, letter. That's true. Um, this We've got— This letter's all over the place. It is, exactly. Yeah. Uh, 10, 11, and tw- yeah. 10, 11, 12, and 13, yeah. most critical New Testament text-critical folks would say don't seem to be original to— this yeah. letter and that the, mm. that second Corinthians is a composite letter. Yeah. Um, where do you come down on that? I don't, okay. <laughs> I've never wrestled <laughs> That's a healthy with that. position. Yeah. I haven't like, gotten into like, what's the pre, you know, pre canonical history of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before that's an, I mean, I've never, and I've never factored in the fact that, uh, he does usually, uh, address these things at the end, uh, of the, of a letter. It doesn't, this doesn't sound like a wrap up of a letter. No. 
Um, and this is a letter, this is a congregation where he's already dealt with this in a letter. So, you know, I, I'm not saying it's a hard and fast rule, but it is, it is something, it would be, it would be normal in normal circumstances. You might just mention it at the end of the yeah. letter, but it might be abnormal circumstances that, that there's more going on here. So I don't know that, you know, this rule that we've derived from reading a few of Paul's letters that, right. that this breaks it, you know, this is what we do. It's like, small, we know Paul so well. Yeah. Small data set that we have. Yeah. And, you know, when people start talking about, you know, well, he doesn't use these words mm-hmm. very often. Really, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, you take any random sampling of his letters and 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 take out a few, and then it's going to be well. You know, those have distinctive vocabulary right. that's not in that. That's one. not in that one. It's really, some of our criteria are very suspect, and they don't stand up to any scrutiny. Right. Because I haven't thought about this in years, and I just, just uh, you know, just my jet stream of consciousness this morning. You know, thinking about it um, as we're talking, it's like, well, yeah, these little rules we write. Yeah. may not be true. It might not know? be there. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so funny. And and I don't know how many times, I, the one that always bothered me, and I think I brought up on the podcast before, it's like once you acknowledge the existence of an amanuensis, a scribe, mm-hmm. then making a style argument yeah, seems to be out the window. No, no it calls everything point. into question. And and I said that to a New Testament scholar who I trust a great deal, he's a good friend. And I said, how do you make a, I said, if you make, and I said that exact sentence, once you acknowledge amanuenses, how do you make a style argument? And he said, yeah, yeah. No. That's it. That's all it is. And then, of course, he goes on to make his style arguments. Oh, I right? don't. You know, I don't make that style so, argument. I was like, "What? I, if what I make a doing? style argument, I bring up the amanuenses." Yeah, okay. Of course, this is all called into question because that's yeah. usually done with the pastoral epistles. Right. Right. All right. And so, uh, and I'm probably in a minority in terms of, uh, um, you know, the scholarly guild. The more I read First Timothy, I go, "There's so much minutia in there. This yeah. doesn't sound like someone else writing in right. Paul's voice. There's just like." Too much. Okay, we get it. You're Paul, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> Quit with the details. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You would be in the minority. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of the New yeah, Testament guild. Criti- critical, yeah, thinking yeah. on that. But, yeah, so, I, and, and just to, I, I know I didn't give a lot of detail, and I probably assumed, but for people who are listening, the 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 argument that I hear most often is that Second Corinthians 10 through 13 might be part of that severe letter yeah. that Paul wrote. Right. That comes between what we know as First and Second Corinthians, mm-hmm. and that it has been appended to the end yeah. of yeah. this, and that's why this letter seems to be all over the page. Which, when you read if it. you're preserving letters of Paul, that that's not unreasonable. Yeah, I think that's they true. would have done that. Right. You know, this is valuable. Um, they're realizing the the value and the wisdom and the the insight that right. Paul has. So, whether it was in, you know intended to be folded in or accidentally was folded in later, it could could be. Yeah, I don't think it's. <laughs> Absolutely crucial to no, and, and again, to, I don't either. To, we're going to get more if we reconstruct something on it. We're so far on tenuous sort of right. uh, hypotheses that I'm not sure what we get out of that. But there is a you know, then in a couple of chapters leading up to this, um, it makes sense to read this far in, in context that uh, there's been this strained relationship. Yeah, and right. There's been an exchange of Titus, who's already who's has this ongoing relationship with Corinth, and he's mm-hmm. the Paul's emissary there. And uh, he's heard back, and after that letter, and they've, you know, it seems like things are on the mend. And uh, um, at least on the mend enough for him to ask for money. Yeah. 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 Or to remind them to follow through. Right. On their right. Pledge. That's right. Because they promised. Yeah. They promised, but they haven't followed through. But they haven't through. followed through. Yeah. That's right. So, and this, you know, this is one of those we, we can really. Uh, gloss over this verse nine. That's uh, that's all right up there with Philippians two and 
And uh, Hebrews talking about, you know, it's kind of puts the incarnation in yeah. in perspective. So, for you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's pretty profound theology of giving. It is. I mean, if you don't, if you just don't read it as manipulative, uh, that this is really is Paul's mm-hmm. thinking and about orienting your life, and that really is about um, probably behind his theology of sharing. Mm-hmm your material goods that yeah. uh, it's one thing to, there's different kinds of reciprocity, you know, the exchange of goods. Um, they talk about this in cultural anthropology for outsiders. You know, it's buyer beware, you know, I'm right. going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to raise, I'm going to sell this at the highest price possible right. for your neighbor. You're probably going to give it another price, you know, mm-hmm. a local and there's going to be uh, bookkeeping. Like if I do you a favor, you do me a favor. Everyone's keeping track of that. So there's going to be a balanced give and take. Uh, you know when you're in a family when you're not keeping track of right. that, okay? And so this kind of giving, is it, it, it symbolizes a lot mm-hmm. that we're in the same family. That's nice. And, and you don't hesitate to do these things when you're in the family. That's very helpful. It's not hard, yeah. okay, when you give for love. And you realize, you know, whereas for a stranger or for a neighbor, you might think, eh, you know, Paul's only asking me to give my surplus. But, you know, you're a little bit, you, it's a little bit harder. But when it's in the family, it's like, no, it's not hard. Right. It's not like, okay, here's five bucks payable on your 18th birthday, right, you know? Right, right. I'm going to go write that down. It's like, it's just a different mode of living. And uh, life is so much easier when you're thinking about things that mm-hmm. way. Okay. So it's profound. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's, it's transformative. It's, it's how you, it's a whole different life orientation, you know? And it's a short verse, but it's profound about mm-hmm. Christ's, Entering into our poverty and enriching us, you know, and he does that as family, he, and he draws us into his family, and it's based on love. That's yeah. I mean, I, I easily skim over that, but for some reason, I you know made it no, connected with me this that's morning. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, that very is helpful. a uh, as profound a theology of anywhere, anything in the um, of the incarnation, and and I do ask questions uh, on the A level exam at the end of yeah the the. Uh, um, occasionally I ask the question, what are the theological implications of the incarnation? Mm. And most pastors can't answer that. That's that. right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. I believe the right things. Right. It's Over. like, no, if we, st- we need to stop and notice the way Paul's and the writers of the New Testament are constantly translating that into so what? how do you live? Yeah. Yeah. And here's one of those. It's easy to miss yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that was always, and I've mentioned Bill twice now, but Bill Bellinger's question was always, what's the hermeneutical payoff? Mm-hmm. He said, in other words, so what? I yeah. mean, it's, I'm interested to know no. your interpretation. What's the but takeaway? So what? What yeah. is this? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What's the so what? Yeah. I am very intentional about I use the language, the takeaway. What's what's your takeaway from the discussion and the reading, like when I teach an online class? I yeah. realize I do that more and more. And uh it helps people. You know, yeah. it's a catalyst for like, oh, I didn't make that connection, but I have to. Yeah. So yeah. Well, the ten- the tendency for us to simply compartmentalize and yeah. and just read it and you know and not think about oh wait this is supposed to have implications for all of life now mm-hmm. you know we are changed as a result of this so what does yeah. that mean? And I didn't get into like is this a confession or a creed? Is this something they would have recited? Mm-hmm. If the, if that's the case, it's probably very concise but very profound. And, right. And and uh, you need to stop and think about it. Now, uh, I don't know if that's the case, but it's it it, it sounds like we, it you is. know I'd never made the connection before, mm-hmm. but it sure sounds like Philippians two. Verse nine. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. does. I mean, yeah. you could easily see that coming there. Yeah. It's like another way of saying Philippians 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and if you read Philippians 2 in context, it's about 
an exhortation of how to live. Right. You know, and it's never just like, let's think, now let's think about this. Okay, back to what we were talking about. Right. Like, now, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, that's a... That's a that's a hard question for students to answer. I don't ask, and I don't think I've gotten good answers on right, that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but pretty important. Pretty it's a, important. a rather important question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, you didn't struggle with Second Corinthians at all no. today. No, I didn't. You enjoyed it. I had a good attitude, huh? Like, yeah. Like Philippians two. I like it. <laughs> But let's look at something I know you can talk about. Mark 5. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. Let me just point out that crowd. they should listen as a, this is this is a healing within a healing. Yeah. So it's one of those Mark's sandwich yeah, structures. This so, is an A-B-B-A situation. Yeah. yeah. Or an so, A-B-A situation. So A-B, or yeah. So there's a beginning of a healing and then another healing in the middle of that unfinished healing and then the completion of that yeah, healing. So listen so, for the structure yeah. as I'm reading yeah. is what he is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jesus had crossed again to the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter, daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power Mm -hmm. had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? A little tone there. It was a lot of tone. He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said, her daughter, your faith has made you well. Which is a pun also, right? On healed you. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, saved you and healed you. Yeah. Uh, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Uh, while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So they're rather poor mourners. At the yeah, that's a real dramatic turn then he then he put them all outside and took the father's took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was he took her by the hand and said to her talitha kum which means little girl get up and immediately the girl got up and began to walk about she was 12 years of age and this at this they were overcome with amazement he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat all right. Being so, dead can make you hungry. Well, yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, it's just, it's going to be a spirit, you know? This, yeah. That happens all the time in that world. Sure. So, but they don't eat, okay? As uh, Jesus is always eating after the resurrection oh. and before the resurrection. Gotcha. So. But yeah, this is a tangible. See, she's not a ghost. No. She's eating. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not a question for us, but it is. It's more common sort of in terms of their stories. You know, that's her spirit. Wow. Something like so that. So this guy can raise people from the dead, it looks like. Yeah, it's validating. It's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let me put it in context before we jump into the text. So we were reading uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were reading the beginning of a new section where Jesus is teaching in parables. He's teaching about this mysterious manifestation of the kingdom, which is both hidden, right, but dynamic, which is uh, starts um, starts privately or hidden, and, and nobody and, understood, and, right, and then and then, but it's going to have a dramatic uh, conclusion mm-hmm. or a dramatic harvest, like a seed or leaven in a in a loaf, or something like that. And there's a tra- that's a transition from um, um, people, his own people rejecting him, mm-hmm. and then the question is, is his family thinking that too? Because they're right, outside the house. That's another one of those sandwich structures where they kind of begin this section, where who all of his owners are are, uh, are rejecting him, yeah, and are, are his own now the his new family that he's creating, and do they get it? But there's this uh, there's this teaching to his own that is this is near the end of that section, and after this he goes to Nazareth mm-hmm. and is rejected, right. In between that, there's some very dramatic um, healings, and there's a, a motif of massive crowds by the sea, mm-hmm. and this crossing the sea has connotations of uh, entering into the mission in Gentile territory. Right. So he's crossing back and forth over the sea. The and Gerasene very, demoniac, right? Yeah, right just before, before this. this yeah. yeah, there's the uh, there's the storm at sea, and then the, the Gerasene demoniac. And the connection between the two, well, would, Gary, as we named him, yeah, in Gary, podcast, Gary. As I <laughs> did we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did that. Yeah, we did that. Oh, one, that's yeah. pretty good, Gary. Gary, yeah, because <laughs> he didn't have a name, and I thought Gary, Gary was, uh, yeah, full Gary of, the uh, Garrison demoniac, yeah, full, full of, uh, <laughs> full of demons. They enter into the the pigs, and they go into the sea. So right. it was a connection between the, that chaotic. Um, they're saying, "Don't throw us into the pit." They go into the chaos of the sea of the water. So there's an there's an interesting sort of uh, things are happening around the sea and it's very awkwardly connected to here. There's nothing about the sea except for that they make it about the sea. So and he, when he crossed again in the boat, so we went, well okay, and a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. And they make a point of like this is part and parcel of these other stories. Okay, okay, okay. somehow uh, teaching to his own. It's going to be concluded by his own are going to reject him again. It's a little the the bracket would be um, mm-hmm. the beginning in the the household and then his hometown. Um, and and this contrast between people who have faith and people who don't. Mm-hmm. Um, faith is very important in this in this episode. So if I, te- I teach this regularly, usually when I'm teaching about the kingdom of God, and uh, they don't intentionally, they don't always see where we're going with this, but um, Jesus' miracles show that the kingdom of God has arrived, but almost more importantly, it shows the character of God and the nature of his kingdom yeah. and what kind of kingdom is establishing. Mm-hmm. So the miracle usually become is already in the background. You know, the healing of the garrison of Gary <laughs> as as dramatic that is the most dramatic yeah. confrontation with with spiritual, you know, mm-hmm. uh opposition. The of spiritual yeah, opposition. he's he's like he's naked, he's crazy, he's full of demons, he lives in the graveyard. He's got a lot of issues. With him, right? Yeah, you know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I know that he's guy. in my dorm. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, I know Gary. Yeah, we all know Gary. We all know Gary. Yeah, and and Jesus like t- t- just dramatically changed his life. And right. over against the pattern of going away, once now that you're a disciple, he sits at Jesus' feet. He's in his right mind. Um, no one else is in his mind. <laughs> right. right. No one else <laughs> is in his mind. Yeah, yes. those guys are gone. And um, he sits at Jesus' feet and takes the position of a d- disciple. And he wants to follow Jesus, right. which has been the pattern. Jesus says, no, go home mm-hmm. and tell the good things that God has done for you. And he goes and tells the things that Jesus has done for him, little yeah. subtle. You see what I did there? Most of the disciples, well, Luke does that subtly, and that goes, that's there in Mark, too. 
Um, the thing is, against that pattern, this guy doesn't need to leave his family. Mm-hmm. Okay, this guy has been so far out of community. Right, his issues put him outside of community. And now as he's does been sin, restored. As does purity, and he's been the final act of healing is restoring him to that community. Mm-hmm. And so that's we need to get that. Mm. Yeah, it comes dramatically. The kingdom of God comes very uh, obviously sometimes. This is a pretty obvious healing, but there's dimensions that are less obvious that call for discernment. This guy has been restored in his relationships, in wow. his so- social. So against the background of that drama, that right. little thing is really what's emphasized at the end right. of the story. Right, Okay, So it's just like, it's, a, it's always astounding how quickly those are in the backdrop. But for for a, a 21st century where we're kind of anti-supernatural or scientific world has bracketed that out, um, the supernatural is the amazing part that we pay attention to. Right. We miss these other dimensions the of the character of right. God's wholeness and healing. And this is a really good example. Well, with her, yeah. That, see, that's exact, That's always what I talk about with yeah. her, right? Yeah. Because she's mm-hmm. she's unclean. Right. I mean, and she's yeah. been unclean yeah. and unable to participate in community mm-hmm. for 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. And and so in the midst of this dire situation, I mean, this is a, a, a little daughter. I mean, one would think until recent weeks, <laughs> I would think that this is the most important thing. Right. Uh, you know, your family, your kids. Okay. That's a common human value of mm-hmm. one I had thought up until recently. Uh, but uh, this is a dire situation. You know, she is on the brink of death. If these two people showed up at the ER, one would be treated first. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, like, oh, my daughter's dying. You know, uh, you know, everyone rushes out or, hey, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. Oh, how long have you been bleeding? 12 years. Sit over there. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> Chronic situation versus a dire situation, right. life and death situation. And what I usually do is put a, fill the board up with what are the comparisons and contrast between these two stories? You know, there's, uh, there's, Comparison. There's twelve as mentioned in each of these, mm-hmm. and that's all. That's never in in the first century when you just have a remnant of a remnant. Twelve is an idealistic uh, hope that God will restore His people in the end right. times. That's expected. So it's putting kind of saying this is there's there, these people are larger than life. These people's situations tells us something about what God is doing, not just for these two people, these two families, but for His people. So that's highlighted. Um, so that, that her 12 years of suffering and the 12-year-old daughter mm-hmm. are the subtle yeah. sort of messages to the reader of God's restoration. That there's the a larger issue about gotcha. what is God doing? What is the kingdom breaking in doing for not just these people, but this is emblematic of of God's gotcha. kingdom and Jesus' ministry, Jesus' mission. So we realize, oh, this is a... There's a lot. There's a lot to be taken away from this story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, very different social statuses between a, a, a male who's the president of the synagogue and and a woman who's an outcast. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. who's unclean. Um, one healing begins very private, uh, very publicly. Yeah, the very public say, "My daughter's dying," and if you follow the story, it gets it's winnowed more, more down, private, and then becomes secret. And he says, "Don't tell anyone about mm-hmm. this." The middle story starts secret and becomes very public. Mm. Okay. It's like, was that intentional? I think so. Nice. I think so. Yeah. So there's something interesting about that. And um, 
there is uh, this tension between, I think it's a, as, we, as I was teaching this once, I had this illustration of the inbreak into the kingdom, how what people expected was something dramatic and cataclysmic mm-hmm. and apocalyptic. And the kingdom broke in early and didn't wait for the end of the age, and the age didn't end, but the kingdom began. Usually those were thought of as like, that was going to be an end of an age, and God's right. going to end history and start things afresh. But when Jesus comes and announced the kingdom, the, this fallen age hasn't ended, and Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here. And so it's yeah. a big question mark. And then he starts saying things like, and it's like a little mustard seed. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute. So there's a lot There's a lot of in this, the way he's teaching about the kingdom of God, sometimes it's quite dramatic and mm-hmm. obvious, but what I really want to spend more time on is like there's these other elements that are hidden, like a seed or like leaven, and just because you don't discern their work, they're no less important. In mm-hmm. fact, those things are going to be dramatic um, harvest or dramatic uh, fruition and end to that. So this public-private thing is a nice illustration of this overlap of the ages, when you have the kingdom of God manifest in a mysterious form, yeah. in a curious, mysterious format. And Yahweh has come out of the temple. I mean, this is the... that. If if an unclean person touches a clean person, mm-hmm. the clean person is now unclean. Yeah, one would but think. But here, the unclean person right. touches Jesus, yeah. and she is cleansed. Yeah, yeah. And so... Jesus is like a bar of soap. He, <laughs> yeah. How many times? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and Jesus is Jesus like, is a, like bar a bar of soap. soap. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, that he's, he's cleansing that here in her yeah. and, and restoring her, so that you have that that idealized eschatological God dwelling with his people mm-hmm. image, although it's already happening now, even though the previous age hasn't ended, yeah. as you, as you mm-hmm. point out. So we... and, and, the, and they're both commended for their faith. It's about Each of these healings is about faith, but it's really questionable what's going on here. Like, this woman shouldn't have been out in public, according to, you know, Levitical law. She, that's her problem, is yeah. that she, uh, you know, a, woman, a normal um, uh Premenopause woman would have certain days of the month that she would right. be unclean and she would withdraw from withdraw society. society. But this is a perpetual menstruation, which perpetually puts her out of society. Right. And maybe she's lost her husband, she lost her wealth trying to cure this. She's desperate. And so she she believes something will happen and she exercises that, but it's a it's a curious manifestation of faith. She see, she's understanding somehow Jesus as this inbreaking, announcing this inbreaking of of God's kingdom, and she recognizes something about him that yeah. those rules don't apply. Mm-hmm. Somehow, that either it's God's character is such that uh, you know. I, as I thought about it on, on my long drive today, I was thinking about it in terms of um, purity laws are meant to preserve community. Yes, but but Jesus will say things like he didn't say this, but it's a lot like it's like. Um, Purity laws are for community. Community is not for purity laws. Right. You know, and that's something that a purity law that's meant to be a good thing has relegated her outside of community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an overturning thing, like he does says about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humans, not humans right. for the Sabbath. Right. And he and his person is is doing something different that's bursting these wineskins of the old, the old or transcending them. And and if we, I think careful readings of the Old Testament, we'll see that it's always talked it's always about a transcendence. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah, is there's no in your mind? There's no difference in the faith shown here. I mean that she's. Well, I well, mean she's she's she she seems to have the greater faith. Yes, the, this is the uh, she's the center of the story. The story is more about 
it gives it more prominence by putting that in the middle. Okay. And this, she kind of stands out. Okay. The other guy, guy's struggling, and Jesus is 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 saying something about uh, faith there too. I yeah. mean, he's touching a corpse also, which also would make you, yeah, make you normally unclean. make you unclean. Right. The worst kind of impurity, the longest right term to become clean again. So that, uh, not that's not happening. Not happening. Okay, here. so she's a curious. Yeah, she's the hero in the sense of she's manifest in this faith, and he's encouraged to have this faith. And as different as these people are, they're both approaching Jesus by faith. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the outsider has the greater faith than the president. Of the yeah, this guy was an in. This guy was so in in terms of everything, right. according to like the the how they understood the legislation. Right. You know, and she's so outside. But they both kind of uh, it's a different. They both have to approach. Right, Jesus. They, she, they both throw themselves at Jesus' feet. They both have to exercise faith. So, it, and he's messing with both of them. He's on the way to heal this daughter who's on the brink of death and maybe died because of the delay. Maybe. And uh, he stops and interacts with her. Now he didn't need to break stride to heal her, evidently, right. but he does. He stops and he makes it public what was a secret healing, and mm-hmm. he makes it a restoration for her. Mm-hmm. So she's been physically whole. He didn't need to stop, okay? Right. Like I said, I'd probably say this illustration. Like it's like the ambulance driver is pulling over at a yard sale, and you're in, right. in the uh, back with a family. We're like, let's stay on task. Right. And then and then he, is he messing with her? He's like, who touched me? You know, right. it's like, you know what's going on. But, I mean, she's terrified. She throws herself down in fear and confesses mm-hmm. like, this is like, uh, is this guy a Pharisee? Is this what I've, you know, what have I got myself into here? Right. This could be worse than before. So what's this woman doing? So, but she confesses and, and Jesus makes it very public that she is restored. And then a priest would do this to say, part of the job of the priest is to make a public proclamation yeah. that you're pure and you're restored. And probably worth noting, the disciples have no recognition that anything has happened. Yeah, they don't even understand what's going on. I mean, a healing has taken place. Jesus knew a healing had taken place. He asked who touched, and they get Mm -hmm. snippy with him. It's like there's a lot of people here. What do you mean, who touched you? What what kind of dumb question is that? They are they're taking the bait. They are completely clueless that anything has happened. Yeah, no, yeah, that's (laughs) consistent. That's yeah, right, exactly. They're they're right playing right into character. They Mm -hmm. have no idea what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is a it's a mob. You know, it's a mob. And uh, she muscles through and exercises this this faith, you know. And there's a lot going on in terms of the, you know, Mark's community is probably Gentiles. And there are things about, Jesus says in other contexts, like mm-hmm. they're thereby making all foods pure. I mean, they're dealing with some nuts and bolts sort of things. Like, how do we have a community that's fastened together between, you know, Jews right. and Gentiles? Right. And, and, and uh, purity issues are the biggest issues. Or how do you, well... Mm. The most immediate in your faces, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, and uh, you see him overcoming these things, and this is a different. This is a community that's focused on something different. That's something that transcends that that issue, or um, points beyond that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that Jesus is uh, uh, for the one who you know can can purify, and the one who can uh, can raise from the dead. It's not an issue. You know, death yeah. and impurity are not the issue. Okay, well, the, the greater one has come, and the community has been restored out of this. Yeah, uh, people who were mm-hmm. who had no community, and so this was. Uh, we had I had this chart of the overlap of the ages and then breaking the kingdom one time, a long time ago, 
and I'm teaching freshmen, and and we're then we're studying this as saying, here's you know I'm implying that there's this is saying something about that mysterious break of the kingdom. But well, a freshman uh, young woman said, yeah, this is a good illustration of the chart. You know, yeah. I go, you're right. That's the best illustration I've ever heard. I've I'm just doing these things serially, but it's like really these are kind of illustrate each other. Yeah. You know, that there's this mysterious inbreaking of the kingdom, very obvious, but there's this secret element too. So there's some things about the kingdom that are expected to happen when it breaks in, like resurrection. Right. Jesus makes that a secret. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. I was just like, that gives me chills when I think about it. When she said that, it's like all this clicked, I go, a secret resurrection. It's like, oh, that, that gets my attention. Right. You know, it's not as though this isn't that inbreaking of the kingdom in all its power and, and life-giving ability, but there's a secret element mm-hmm. to it. And uh, over against that backdrop, this communal dimension, this healing on all levels, this restoration on all levels. This woman, the, all the levels that the demonic, uh, Gary, yeah. <laughs> Gary, Gary was... Gary was a demonic, yes. <laughs> that would be a nice action figure or plush play toy. <laughs> Maybe a bunch of pigs you could sell with it. Uh, I, have, need, I dramatize bath, it. They need to be bath toys. Yeah, I, I dramatize <laughs> oh, God. And then why don't the pigs float? They don't. They don't float. <laughs> oh my. It's dark. <laughs> dark. And I, I have a Lego drama of this, so it's, it's not as though people don't play with this story. Yeah, but any anyhow, yeah, this is uh this is amazing. It's amazing, um it's amazing storytelling. I didn't get it that I didn't get at this what Mark is doing by this weird these weird sandwich structures. I got I got at it by having conversations with people over the yeah, years. Yeah. It's not like you can go to one author's like, oh, here's what everything that means. I think right. I think the way Mark presents the story of Jesus is that you, you kind of tease it out over time. Mm-hmm. This simple structure generates a lot of meaning right. the more you interact well, with it. it. You know, we've talked a lot of times about intertextual readings and mm-hmm. the value of placing text next to one another that mm-hmm. give you insights. Well, that's what's happening. I mean, yeah. he's doing it within Absolutely. this text now, yeah. is giving you an intertextual mm-hmm. experience. You know, yep. Here's this story, here's this story, read them together. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's one of the definitions in our in our guild. One of the, I think, uh, one of these little slim volumes. What is postmodern criticism? Yeah, I think that's one of the illustrations. Uh, AKA Adam. That's an interesting name. Yeah, is that his name? I don't know. Remember you know, something like that. Anyway, he talks about rubbing text together and seeing what sparks. It's like, well, that's kind of pre-modern. That's what, Mark is, what it is. Yeah, it is pre-modern. What Mark right. is doing, uh, but it doesn't. You don't always get it in one conversation, and you think about these. These stories, uh, they mm. continue to generate meaning. Um, I mean, I've teach this every semester, more than one class, and I still get more and more out of it the more we have a conversation about mm. it. So these simple, these, you know, Mark is accused of being a simple sort of gospel or a simple storyteller. It's like, eh, he's uh, elegant Yeah, that's a better ways. way to do yeah. it. Not elegant in his language, but... Is an elegant uh, efficiency. He's an elegant storyteller. Yeah. Even if, yeah, yeah the Leaves languages. a lot of room for meaning to be produced. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't overdefine the story, but it's it's very strategic and very precise in other ways. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for listening this week. Uh, I think we're going to be back on track for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, just have the one who knows what could go wrong with who 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 can say (laughs) summer who can say what Mm -hmm. the future holds so um but yeah thanks for listening this week hope you've had a good week uh we will pick up from here and uh i don't know what else to say follow us on twitter like us on facebook and 
Have a great week. Have a great week. Blessings. Blessings.